something that has, has nothing to do with anything. It's just the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, and it has nothing to do with my sermon. It's totally ridiculous, but I just have to share it with my friends. Uh, I was subbing at the school on uh, a few days ago. I forget what day. And uh, I was in sixth grade. Sixth graders are awkward, as we all know. But uh, they were doing biographies, and the kids were all working on things. And I asked the kid who was, he was doing his biography on, and he chose Will Smith. And... Uh, and he was stuck at a certain point. He said, I, I have Will Smith, but I don't, I don't know what challenges he faced. And I said, oh, I know what challenge he faced. Let me tell you about the time he became the Prince of Bel-Air. And then I started rapping for him. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground, I spent most of my days. And uh, it was, you know, the kids were just like, what on earth is happening? But uh, it was just the perfect thing in my life. And I'll tell you, the kids, they didn't understand, but for me, it was the funniest thing I have ever done. And it was perfect, and the world just sort of collided, and it was just in this moment that all of my pop culture training came into this moment where I was given this gift. And guys, I just, I don't know what it has to do with the sermon, absolutely nothing, uh, but uh, maybe just, you know, I just wanted to share that with you because you're my friends, and uh, maybe one day it'll, it'll work. I don't know how to make it work, but, so I just threw it in there. So my friends all said, could you get it to fit? And I was like, no, I can't get it to fit, but I'm going to share it with them anyways. Uh, let's go to our Lord, uh, just for the gift of laughter, perhaps. Uh, Lord, we love you so much, and I thank you for our time together around your word. Uh, help us to know of your goodness and your grace today. We thank you for um, the help uh, that you are bringing us uh, through, uh, through your grace and your love each day. Uh, Lord, so open our hearts, open our minds to you. Help us to know that you are with us and that you love us. Uh, today, help us to be attentive to your spirit and your grace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to read through starting in, um, starting in verse 12 uh, this morning. As we walk through the book of Deuteronomy, and, and we've just been kind of hitting some of the uh, highlights, and uh, Moses is preaching his last sermon before the Israelites would uh, cross into uh, the promised land. They are, are, are hearing what I essentially believe to be Moses' heart for them as their sort of shepherd that has led them to this point. He's saying, you need to know this before you enter into the promised land. You need to know these things about yourselves, about your God, if you are going to live faithfully for him. And for us, as we sort of have faced the challenges of our wandering and sort of wilderness wandering of our own over the last year, I really felt compelled that this is a book that helps us to make the next steps as we think about our life moving forward with God and what those challenges are and what we need to be attentive to in our own hearts and minds. You know, so the question is, if these are Moses' last words to uh, the people of Israel, what's on Moses' heart? What does he want them to know about God? Or more importantly, what does God speak through Moses to these people to say, walk with me and be faithful? And so we get the opening sort of, um, the opening sort of challenge is, is kind of a convergence of a lot of scriptures. 
in uh, Deuteronomy 10.12, we, we will hear many familiar things. And now Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? Uh, this reminds me of Micah 6.8. Micah would have drawn from this verse. And now Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. I almost was tempted to just make the sermon series walk through each of these five pieces of the puzzle of what does the Lord ask of us? What does he ask of you? And it's very simply laid out for us. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience, to love him, to serve him with all of your heart and all your soul, to observe his commands that he's giving. So observe, walk, serve, love, those sorts of things. And the temptation is to break sort of each one of them down, but what I would ask of you is to actually, when you read that and reflect on what God is asking of us, it's not that we would break those down into five separate components of what God is asking of us. I would think of it more like an orchestra or a symphony orchestra that has many different parts playing and making one beautiful tone or song in, in sort of cohesive unity. We don't really get to say, I love God, but then also not obey his commands. I don't get to say, uh, I'm going to serve him, but then I am just doing this out of duty without any sort of love of the Lord and worship of him. You need all of these things working in unison together. And when you kind of think about your own walk and your own journey and what God has asked of you in your life with him, I think we can all look back at moments where we've had parts of the orchestra sort of falling out or maybe a little out of tune to maybe take the illustration a little too far, but where there are moments in our life where we know that we are called to serve God, but maybe... And maybe we are serving, but we're doing that simply out of motion and not out of a worship and adoration and love for God. Or maybe worshiping and loving God, but then not, not, really, not really seeking to obey or to serve or not having all of the pieces of the puzzle. And so what God is asking of us, I believe, is very simply that we would have all of these things in unison together. And as Christians seeking the Lord, we can we can see and feel and know that Jesus is calling us to the same sort of thing. There's nothing that Jesus says that would contradict this, but everything Jesus says and does elevates this and helps us to know that this is the way of Christ, this is the way of Christians, that we would serve, that we would worship, that we would love God with all that we are, that we would pursue him with, uh, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would love others. And so, so having that sort of set in mind, uh, that this is really the greatest commandments, maybe written in a little different way, but it is God calling us to love one another and seek him, to obey him. And so we, we can think of scriptures that have uh, sort of echoed this. I mentioned Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? But to uh, uh, love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with God. We think of Jesus' commands of what are the greatest commandments. And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have scriptures in mind when we read this opening, uh, opening part of our message this morning. We know God is calling us to this. But this morning, uh, it takes a turn. Um, I, I labeled my sermon, Surprised by God. 
what happens next is there's going to be a sort of set of three things that happens. Uh, there's going to be this really amazing thing about God. There's going to be this response, and then there's going to be this surprise. There's going to be sort of like a yet. Like, yet, do this. And it's gonna, it, it may not catch you by surprise, because you guys are you know, old and wise, and you know, you know stuff. But uh, for us common folk, it was like, oh, that's really neat. And so I'd, I'd like to walk you through that. And I, I hope that the message will help you be surprised by God and live a life in awe of him. Uh, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens. This is verse 14. The, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. So everything belongs to God. I immediately, I go to Colossians where we, we talk about the majesty of Christ Jesus, that in him everything has been made. The same sort of lofty thing is being said of the Lord your God. He, everything belongs to God, everything in it, everything below it, everything above it, everything belongs to God. Yet, the Lord set his affection, the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. And maybe you don't catch the power of the yet in this statement, but I just want you to wrap your heads around this for a moment. That the one who has created everything, through whom everything belongs, through everything matters, through everything that exists, so God is the majestic Lord over all of everything, yet he sets his affection on the Israelites. He created all of it, yet he turned his heart towards them. And if you were an Israelite and a part of that, and you hear that in Moses' message, there is a sense of dignity, there's a sense of love, there's a sense of pursuit, and I want us to be surprised by the affection of God. That God has in the midst of all of his creation and all the splendor of his creation, he has set his heart on a people. And what I would hope you would see is an immediate connection to, what Je- to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. That here, the man who was the word and the living word of God who took on flesh, who is living among the people, he then sets his affection on you. He sets his affection on all of creation. He sets his heart on us, and he redeems us. He saves us. And when I read this story, when I read what Moses is saying, I can't help but be caught up into reflecting on John 3.16 and knowing that God who created the heavens and the earth also sent his Son so that we would have eternal life in him. You, You have had God's affection set on you. You have been called, you've been chosen, you've been loved, you are cherished. Something matters about you. Because the one who created everything, who also created you, also loves you. On a day that is made up with things to fabricate showing of love, we are given the greatest. I may have shown my hand about how I feel about Valentine's Day. There is no doubt about the one who loves us, who sets his affection towards you, who gave up everything for you. 
as Tim shared, this is love, that Christ laid his down, down his life for you. Yet the Lord set his affection on the ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all nations, as it is today. And so what is the response? Well, there's this, verse 16, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Circumcise your hearts. Yeah, what a delightful passage, right? <laughs> what, what is that? And Here's what it is. It's so simple. We have stubborn hearts. Who has stubborn children? Who was the stubborn child? If you're siblings among you, you can point at one another. Mike, Rich, who was more stubborn between the two of you? We have this stubborn heart, stiff-necked people, and what the response is, the response is, would you turn your heart back towards the one who set his affection on you? The power of this yet is that the maker of the heavens and the earth sets his affection on you, and our response then is, uh not going to happen, I'm not going to love you back. Or, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for all of the stupid things I've done that you haven't held them against me. That though my heart has wandered, you have pursued. Though I have been stiff-necked and determined that this is the way I'm going to go, you've stood in the way and you've said, Jordan, come back. Being stiff-necked means you can't, you can't look away from that foolish thing that you've pursued and God is calling you to say come back turn your hearts back to God he set his affection on you would you set your affection back to him he gives us a new heart and the power of God's word is that God gives us a new heart through Jesus Christ through his spirit and it's him that's in you and living in you. And he's making you a new person and a new creation in Christ that your heart can beat again. And that new heart, circumcised heart, is given to God and it's rendered unto him and you give him all that you are. And it circles back to what we opened with is that this is the heart that loves the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is, this is the heart that beats for God and serves him and seeks him and fears him and obeys him. And it desires to do that. It desires to do those things. Because I, for one, I, I, there are times where I've been told to, to do something and I don't want to do it. I know you guys do everything and you're responsible, but... But God, when he speaks to us now, when we have the new heart, and he speaks to us and says, would you do this? It's not a, not, uh, not gonna happen. I would love to. I would love to be a part of what you're doing in this world, God. And this is the invitation that Moses is extending to Israel, and I think this is the invitation Jesus invites us on when he says, come and follow me. Would you be with me? Would you pursue this? Would you seek first the kingdom with me? God sets his affection on you. Would you set your affection on him? Would you turn your heart to him? And 
as we keep going through and walking through this, there's another fun thing that happens. So that's part one. Here, Moses does it again. He might make a good preacher one day. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. All right, so he does it again, just like last time. Where he says, He's the mighty Lord of the heavens and the earth. He says it again in a different way. He's the Lord of lords. He's the God of gods. He's the, um, the great God, the mighty and awesome God. And he shows no partiality. He loves everybody. And that word partiality is, I think he throws that out there. So he sort of sets the tone of saying, you are all equal. There's nothing special or unique about you. And I want that to be the lasting message. You're not special, right? You're not special. That will be the only thing my kids pay attention to. Daddy told everybody they weren't special. And that's what Moses says. God is impartial. God loves his creation completely and wholly. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He's the God over all of creation. Yet, yet here, he accepts those bribes. He's not partial. Yet he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigners residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Wait a minute, you're the impartial God, but you are partial to who? I want you to hear the significance of this. And in the ancient world, it's just going to take a brief thing to help you catch it. In the ancient world, when uh, they had their gods, not our God, but other gods and the idols, the purpose of them was, one, to like try and orchestrate and control the world, but the other thing is the kings found that when the people were convinced to give their worship to the idols, when they would bring in their wealth, when they would bring in their riches, when they would try to appease the gods, do you know who the beneficiaries were of the worship of idols? It wasn't you and me. It was royalty. It was the people who were, had their hands sort of in the coffers. It was those who brought the wealth and the riches and the food and the sacrifices. Those who benefited were not the made-up, fabricated things of metal. It was those who were in royal line who sort of reaped the benefits. So I want you to hear that, and I want you to catch the significance of this. Who are the beneficiaries of the, of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Who does God set his heart on? Who does God care for? I want you to catch the significance of what God does when he says, I am the creator of everything. I am the awesome God, and I want you to know my heart is partial to the widow, to the orphan, to the fatherless, and to the foreigner. Those are the very first people in every system of government that very often have it the worst. And God is saying, in my economy, in the economy of my kingdom, I am partial towards them. I am partial to the forgotten. I am partial to the fatherless. I am partial to the foreigner. 
I'm partial to the ones that have been lonely and hurting and broken. I am partial to the ones that are living in poverty and are hurting and suffering. I am partial towards them. I want you to know that I love them. And the way that you can do this, the way that you can join me in this, I want you to see what, what God wants them to do in light of this, in his partiality to the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow in verse, in verse 19. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. I want you to know that I am the impartial God, but I actually have a little partiality towards these people. And I want you to see that the way you join this is with empathy. It's with seeing the humanity of everyone. You were foreigners in Egypt. You know what it was like to have everything taken away from you. You know what it was like to not be free to live your own life. You know what it was like to live in poverty and brokenness and slavery. You know what it was like. And so don't ever forget what it was like and love them as I have loved you. As I have shown my impartial love and grace, as I have set my affection on you, would you have affection for me and for those who are forgotten, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who need you, need me the most? Would you remember me? God loves, loves it when we love others. The way we show our love for him is by loving those who are hurting and broken. He defends the cause of the fatherless, verse 18, and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Then he circles back to sort of how he opened. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Love the Lord your God. and Keep his requirements, his decrees. His, law, his laws, his commands always. God sets his affection on Israel. God sets his attention on the broken and the hurting. I invite you to hear the gospel story of a God who sets his affection on a world that is lost and broken. He turns his attention and stands before a group of people in the midst of a temple, and he says to him that the poor, the poor have life and hope. The broken and the imprisoned and the forgotten, they're going to be set free. I want you to take a journey up a mountain, and I want you to listen to the one who's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I want you to hear him say to you that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're the inheritors of the kingdom. The lost, the broken, the hurting, those who are walked on, spat on, they have a place in God's kingdom. God cares about them. God cares about you. I want you to take a trip in the gospel story with Jesus, and I want you to, 
stand with him and I want you to look to him and I want you to fall before him and see him on the cross who sets his affection and his attention on you for all of the lost, all of the broken, all of the sinful and I want you to know that he loves you and he gave his life for you. He set his affection and his attention on us. And I want you to take a trip with me past the crucifixion and past the resurrection and I want you to be with me in that moment when the church was born. And the church began preaching this message of a God who has set his affection on every last human being. And that this church would take off and begin proclaiming this message again and again that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and his kingdom has come and you can have a life in him. The church is about setting our affection on God and setting our attention on one another and living with empathy and grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and laying down our lives. This is what it is to serve God. This is what it is to fear the Lord. This is what it is to obey God. To love him and seek him with our whole hearts. This is what it means to follow the greatest commandments of loving God and loving others. Setting our affection on God and turning our attention to those in need. So here's the challenge. The encouragement, the reminder. Turn your heart to him. Set your affection on God. How might your life change this week if we set some of the things that have been our sort of stiff-necked and stubborn things? I know you guys were probably really great this week and you weren't stubborn at all. But do a real serious heart check. Do a real serious neck check. Set your affection on him. What needs to go away? What needs to be added? What needs to be given to God? Who do you need to give attention to? If I was in school, again, wandering the halls, aside from giving, you know, inspirational raps about, you know, down and out rappers, Perhaps setting our attention on those who are hurting. To those that seem alone. Those who are wandering the halls. If I were a church member, I would be, I think I am. I'd be setting my attention on those that aren't here. Whether it's one thing or the other, there's a million things going on. Maybe I would set my attention on each one another, each other as we could, as best as we can, to grow and draw closer together and closer to God. We're doing the best we can, and this is not a two by four upside the head as much as it is a reminder. God sets His affection on you, and He sets His attention on us. And he is calling us 
to join the fight and join the journey and join in this life that is filled with peace and hope. What would happen if the church were to set its affection on God and set its attention on one another in a life in the spirit of forgiveness and mercy and love and kindness? Imagine and dream of what that church can be. And I want to ask you a very serious question. Would that church be a light in the midst of darkness? Is that what is missing in every fabric of our culture in this very moment? As a people who love God above everything and love one another, this is the call of God to the church. It's the call of God to Israel. Be a people that loves the Lord their God with all that they are and love their neighbors as themselves. Let's pray. And then we're going to bring Diary of a Wimpy Kid into all of this real quickly. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we say that with hopefully a broken heart and a humble spirit. Thank you for seeking us and saving us. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. May our hearts turn back to you. Lord, do surgical work on us now. Give us a new heart, new life, a new hope, and new mercies today. Knowing that you're with us and you care deeply for us. And Lord, as you've set your attention on us, help us to set attention on those who are in need. Those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who need a little bit of hope. We pray, God, that you would help us to see and that we would point them to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we thank you for today. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. About Diary of the Wimpy Kid. Um, there was a couple ways to go. There, uh, this one is called The Deep End. He gets himself in a sticky situation, I suppose. I haven't read this one. I didn't get the uh, read the back. I didn't do that either. I was thinking about it. It would be really cool if we got a kid from the Bible to write his diary story. And there's one kid in particular that I'd want to hear his story because it's a pretty serious one. There was a widow. And a widow means that she lost her husband. And that means that they were, in that world, in that time, there was not a lot of help. And her life would have been really hard. And this is a really sad story, but I would like to, I would like to hear someone, I'd like to hear the story of this one kid. This widow, she had one child, and that child died. And there was no hope, and there was nothing left for this woman except for one person. And Jesus came, and he spoke that child back to life. And Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, says, that kid's not dead, he's just sleeping. He was dead, but in the power of Christ, he was risen from the dead.
And I was thinking, if there was any kid that I would like to read his diary, I would like to know what it meant for him to have life because of Jesus. I'd want to know what changed in his mom's demeanor once she knew that Jesus loved her so much that she got her son back. I'd like him to write a book, and it was actually credible about what heaven was like, but... uh, We know we would scrutinize it, but uh, I derailed there. I'd like to hear his story. And the truth is, is that we all get to write that story. We are all a diary of someone who has given us new life and new hope. We are a story of people whom God has set his affection and his attention on. And you get to write it, and you get to tell it, and you get to give people hope and encouragement to know. The diary of Jordan Ackes says this, I am lost, but I'm saved. I am hurting, but I've been healed. I am a sinner, but I'm forgiven in Christ. And every kid here, I want you to hear this. You get to tell your story of Christ and what he's done for you. You get to share that every day celebrate what God has done and talk to him and share his love with others that's my diary of a wimpy kid I hope that works love y'all let's stand and sing